Oh, boy, everybody. I am so happy that so many people have reached out to say yes to doing the show and people are interested in watching queer horror movies and talking about them. The queer horror community has been nothing short of amazing. And a quick shout out to them and a quick shout out to you if you yourself are a member of that community. I love you so much. It's been wild um, just how quickly I have, you know, found a group of, of people who are are into all the same uh, trashy and scary movies as me. And if you are so inclined to check out my Patreon page, it's a series of 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 numbers and letters right now. I don't know how to change it, but I'll figure it out. I will figure it out. But until then, I'm going to put the link, the numbers and the letters and all the crazy stuff. I'm going to put it in my show notes so that you can check it out if you want to. Um, that was a very hard T. I should not make the T's that hard. Um, I'm not talking to anybody. I'm talking to nobody. Nobody can hear me. I don't know who I'm telling that to. Okay. Anyway, I haven't fully lost my mind yet, but... I'm getting close. I just heard my neighbor come in. I had to pause because I'm so paranoid and I'm so <laughs> uh, done with staying in my uh, apartment all day. Um, get outside, take a walk, watch some scary movies, be nice to each other. Follow me on social media, Joshua Simon says, and please enjoy my guest. She is amazing. Jay Kingwack is a comedian and kinkster of great renown. Uh, to me at least, because they are a very close dear friend and they are so funny and I am so happy to have them on the show. So please enjoy The Gag, a spoop cast, and our very spooper special guest, Jay Kingwack. Enjoy. everybody and welcome to the gag a spoof cast where i joshua simon a gay anxious gremlin talk about queer things and horror things and queer horror things with some of my spoopiest gal pals um queer horror things you know like a goblin that's like yeah i'm a goblin goblin all these dicks <laughs> um, <laughs> oh my god um that was that was that was wonderful um my guest is Someone I've known for a very long time and I'm so happy to have them on because not only are they a uh, BDSM expert or one of the few that I know, she's the only person who's a kink expert, who's also my friend, who's also a comedian. Please welcome Jay King Wack. How are you? Hi, I'm doing great here in this pandemic. Um, but yeah, I'm Jay King Wack, yes. comedian, writer, professional kinky person. Professional um, kinky person. Yeah. Uh, I've been practicing BDSM in my personal life for about a decade. I've worked as a professional dominatrix for many years. And I've nice. been playing here in the DC scene uh, since I moved here in 2017. Nice. Um, kink is a huge part of my life and my identity. And it's also um, a big part of why I identify as queer. Mm-hmm. So yeah, power because exchange, intense sensation are all part of my love love languages, basically. And it doesn't, and you feel that it doesn't help to limit yourself to a specific sexual orientation when you're really just talking about dom sub power dynamic stuff. 
Is that right? Yes, I do identify as a, a pansexual. Ah, cool. For the record. Uh, how, how often do you have to hear the dumb joke about the kitchen pots and pans? Oh, you're pansexual. <laughs> Stick a hole in a frying pan. That ruins the pan. I hear that joke all the time and that it never gets old. It truly doesn't. I appreciate it. I'll probably edit it out of the podcast because it's Sometimes so dumb. I'll even make the joke <laughs> and just when I'm alone in my kitchen, just it's, stare at the pot and pan drawer and being like, I'm so hilarious. It's so horny for you guys right now. <laughs> I'm going to fry an egg in you and then I'm going to fucking eat. Are you just hungry, Jay? <laughs> Is that what's going on? Are you horny all the time? And then you're like, wait, I haven't eaten in seven years. I just needed a sandwich. <laughs> the story of my life. How did you I, know? I thought I needed to pierce my skin, but turns out KFC, man. That's all, that's all I wanted. <laughs> I think that's a great segue into the kind of hunger and desire that we're discussing today. Of course, of course. Like I, my, my kink is definitely, I like to eat. <laughs> That's not really a kink. It's just something that is part of my daily life. Um, I guess I, I don't know. I guess I don't know much about my own kinks more than what, more than what I do with chosen partners. I think my, my real kink is just open communication and saying, yes, that feels good. No, let's not do that. Mm, maybe we should change positions because my lower back hurts. My kink <laughs> is, my kink is not allowing my lower back to hurt during sex. <laughs> That is my kink. A healthy back. Naughty. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah. I know. I know. I'm really we really shouldn't be talking about this. It's so oof. It's so taboo when you don't want your back to hurt. <laughs> but what what you just said about uh, open communication, uh, things like that. That's That's uh, a really important part of kink. A big probably the most important part. And like, to be honest, my favorite part. In people, vanilla relationships, you don't get to uh have like a meeting beforehand being like here's everything that we're going to do here's my safe word here's what uh what i never want to do here's the things i want to try uh here are the things that I, I have to have in this scene in order to truly enjoy it um, i love that they call it a scene by the way some people exactly yeah if you don't, don't know. know that it bdsm uh scene is called a scene and that's just any and is it called a scene because it has has a specific uh beginning and end and that's part of why you set those parameters at the beginning so you know what's on the table and what's not. Because a lot of people think that it's anything goes, and that's completely not true when it comes to BDSM. Yeah, not not true. Unless you are in a in a you know a very strong long-term partnership where you have built that trust and can kind of go off script. And in that case, the scene <laughs> is just 18 years long, baby. <laughs> There true, yeah, there, there truly is a lot of like theatrical terms in there. I'm not exactly sure why it's it's called a scene, but that's that term has just always made sense to me because it is you're planning. Yeah, you're makes planning total sense. Scene. Yeah. <laughs> um, and can you explain why there's such, or of course you can't explain why there is a misconception about why people think that there's no communication because part of kink is losing control but it also has to be within something you're comfortable with. So there has to be that communication. Mm -hmm. um, I think the misconception does come from a lot of the, the way that uh, BDSM and BDSM relationships and dynamics are portrayed. Oh my goodness, totally. 
in, in whether it's in, in media or in other things. Um, but one of the things that I do absolutely- 40 Shades of Violet. If we want to sub, if we want to subtweet a specific book, we can call it Forty Shades of Violet. I'm sure. I haven't read it. I'm not interested. Um, oh, girl, the writing is so bad. Like, let alone the power dynamic is abusive because he, they don't discuss the par the parameters of their subdom relationship. So that gives him carte blanche to do things that she's not okay with, and that isn't allowed in Trust. actual BDSM scenes trust does not in between two people practicing bdsm it doesn't come from uh letting go of and being like oh do whatever you want it comes mm -hmm. from the discussions and from the planning of the scenes and from um yeah really just being honest with each other about what you want to happen that's cool and you say you are you were were are whatever a professional dom have you ever worked as a sub i have yes so you're comfortable doing both Yes, I am. <laughs> Dom, sub, pots, pans, whatever works. Mm -hmm. But it is that the first thing that comes up? Like, who's the Dom, who's the sub? Or do these conversations start with something else? Um, I'd say that, that yes, there is a, you're usually looking for a, a Dom or a sub, you know? Um, that is probably the main starting point. Uh, I, yeah, I do identify as a switch. So, which is, which is what you would call someone who gotcha. both ends of that power spectrum. You're a switch, congrats. Yes. <laughs> it immediately doubles your chances of what you're up to on a Saturday night. It absolutely does. But yeah, that's, that's usually you would, uh, if you are out in the, in the, um, the BDSM scene, which is also what we call like the actual community. <laughs> oh my God, so many different kinds of scenes. Oh no. Oh, Can't you be called a troop? Or a, <laughs> or a squadron or a brigade. Yes, once you go out into the, into the brigade. The to a touring company. <laughs> <laughs> and with my BDSM touring company, we're, we're hitting Flagstaff, Arizona next week. And then we're gonna, then we're gonna, you know, pack up the whips and the chains and the candle wax that we have left. We're planning on using a lot of the candle wax and Flagstaff. <laughs> and then we're gonna pack everything up and we're gonna go Bismarck. Ooh. We're going to pick up some dry ice on the way because we love, love having our nipples burned off in Bismarck. It's, there's <laughs> nowhere else to do it. It's really the nipple burning capital of, of the BDSM world. <laughs> Bismarck, North Dakota. No, I haven't been there yet. It's on my list. <laughs> uh, I wonder what the BDSM scene in North Dakota is like. Probably a lot of layers. <laughs> Of say, leather. There is a BDSM scene pretty much anywhere. You just have to oh, yeah. a little bit for it. <laughs> you just have to know where to find it. It's not like it's, I mean, it is somewhat underground. Part of the appeal is that it's technically wrong, but it's also everywhere. And, and it's, and people openly communicate about it when they're into it. And there's something very correct about just communicating about what you want sexually, even if that includes subdom dynamics. People are like, it's, it's, I think it stems from just a very Catholic, very conservative puritanical society that we live in, where the things that we're not supposed to like, we have to hide them. And that's something that is often explored in horror movies. And that's why we're here today. Mm -hmm. That is why we are here. 
Um, before we get into the horror movie, which is Hellraiser by Clive Barker, released in 1987, by the way, is there anything else that turned you gay this week? Um, just kind of like living this agoraphobic lifestyle is just kind of like kind of turning me a little cottage core. Like, Ooh. you know, like, so like, I kind of just feel like a little wholesome, wholesome gay person in my garden, in my backyard. There's just always smoke bed. coming from the chimney. Yeah, basically. Like, so yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm kind of trying to go for like a little like, uh, bat, like what is it, Bag's End, little Hobbiton kind of thing. You want to become a little, a little uh, pansexual Middle Earther. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that's what, that's what's happening with me this week. That's um, wonderful. Very, not very off of my aesthetic and <laughs> very different from the things I'm about to be talking about here. I know. It sounds like exploring your cottage core <laughs> lifestyle is also what's like balancing out your life right now. Because <laughs> yeah. balance is important when the world is upside down. So I think it sounds like you're going at two very different things that you still do have quite a bit of a knowledge base about. I mean, I've seen your cottage. <laughs> you know, you know how to keep a den. <laughs> I do. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. So, Jay. Yeah. The movie Hellraiser involves people getting stabbed with hooks and going, mm, yes, daddy, more. Um, is that why this was the first movie on your mind uh, as someone who is in the BDSM scene that this is the horror movie that made, like, that I, speaks to you the most? Um, I'd say uh, not only... For, yes, the aesthetic in this movie is just so, just, yeah, reeks of the BDSM world, and I absolutely love it. Um, so yeah, that's a, it's a big part of it. Um, but also, a lot of the, just the, the relationship between Julia and Frank mm -hmm. in the movie was very interesting to me. It's fascinating I, to watch. Yeah. I, I think I... I related a lot to the character of Julia as, as this closeted kinky person who is in this vanilla relationship that is just absolutely suffocating. Mm -hmm. but she doesn't have really like the knowledge or um, I guess the knowledge of self to go out and get what she wants in, in like a healthy way. So And even if she wanted to, it really sounds like Larry based on how he's introduced us is would not go for it. Is it Larry or Rory? Well, in, in the book, it's Rory, but in the movie, it's Larry. Okay, that's they, what it's, yeah. I read the, trying I to trick us. For this podcast, I read the novel, The Hellbound Heart. Mm -hmm. How was that? Parker, um, which is uh, what this is based on. It mm -hmm. was really good. I, um, I read Clive Barker before his children's series or young adult series, um, Abarat, which is absolutely amazing. Mm. I read that when I was a kid. And so when I picked this up, I was really excited. I love the way that he writes. Is there a favorite passage or? Yeah, I'm trying, I'm trying to find it. Um, <laughs> there's this one where there, she's talking about. Um, Who, Claire? Or not Claire, uh, yeah, Julia. Actress. This is, yeah, this is Julia. Um, yes, I love the actress, Claire Higgins. I, I was saying that her performance really broadcasts what you were saying, just that feeling of being uh, trapped and desperate, uh, the desperation to, to expand your horizons was very clear. And Clive Barker, uh, the director, who happens to be a gay man, wanted to set Julia up as the villain of the story. 
and yeah. focus less on the extra dimensional beings, aka the Cenobites, aka Pinhead, what most people know from this movie. Barker wanted Julia to be the villain that ties it all together, but the fans said, no, we like the guy with the nail sticking out of his head. And so it kind of made the Cenobites the one through line for, I believe there are now nine or 10 of these movies. <laughs> I think I've seen about half of them. Wow, I've seen three. Yeah, I've got <laughs> I will freely admit I've only seen three of them. <laughs> but for what it's worth, it's the first one, the sequel, and then the very last most recent one. I don't know how I ended up watching it. It is, it, it, it's hard to get through. I'll, I'll, I'll just say it right, right in there. Doug Bradley doesn't even play Pinhead in it. It's, it's the 10th movie in a horror genre. What do you expect? <laughs> it's not like my standards were high anyway. <laughs> so this is, this is a passage where, um, uh, Julia, I think she's just um, murdered someone. I'm not sure if it's the spree that she is. Um, all right, quote. She looked down at the floor. A dead man's hand lay between them. For an instant, she was almost overwhelmed by self-revulsion. All that she had done and dreamed of doing in the last few days rose up in front of her. A parade of seductions that had ended in death. All for this death that she had hoped so fervently would end in seduction. She was as damned as he, she thought. No fouler ambition could nest in his head than presently cooed and fluttered in hers. Mm, that's mm. sexy writing. Those are some sexy words. Sexy writing. Um, I think one of the most, I think one of the reasons people are mostly uncomfortable with this movie more than so many other horror movies is because of the way violence and sex are so intermingled and so linked. One thing I thought about while you were reading that is in the professional BDSM scene, is there a lot of role play and fantasy involved as well? Or are those separate entities? Oh, it's, well, it's all, it's all fantasy. Okay, well, gotcha. All, even if you, you know, even if it's all, you're still pretending. It's like adult uh, play, like. Um, it's like a play date. <laughs> if I'm like in the middle of, of a, like a scene with someone and I'm like, like, uh, Let's just see. Yeah, for example, if someone's like in a very like verbal place, like cursing me out or something, obviously with my consent, there's nothing better than like basically pretending that you're upset and humiliated by it, and then just like maybe turning around to them and giving them a smile and a wink, just being uh, like, keep going. Like you're allowed. Yeah, it's allowed. I mean, <laughs> encouragement is is encouragement is laughter is. Uh, open dialogue always part of it for me absolutely mm -hmm. for me yes um but yeah i always in my um in my professional uh dom life i oh it always it feels to me like i'm like psychosexual theater mm -hmm. with one with like with one audience member the person that you were so it's the purest yeah. form of theater True. move over hamilton we're <laughs> Um, but you no. know, when I was, oh no, I went for Hamilton. That's not good. <laughs> Hamilton's great, guys. Sorry. <laughs> anyway. Can you imagine a Hamilton BDSM? You know, you know, Rule Thirty Four exists. Like someone has been like, okay, so I'm Angelica and you're Peggy, and I want you. Toni Morrison's uh, Hamilton spoof was about. Is it? <laughs> no. That was oh my god. <laughs> Great, thanks for broadcasting that I haven't read enough Toni Morrison, Jay. <laughs> now everyone knows. Oh, my. <laughs> oh geez. I, 
but I'm just imagining someone who's like, I mean, because fantasy, you said, is always a part of it, everything from the physical actions to the, you know, what are, what are our given circumstances? What are you calling me? What are our names? Is, is that, could we go through like the actual process where someone puts in a call and says, I'd like to do a scene, oh, the actual yeah. scene? How does that work? Like, so if, so like me, like me as a professional, someone comes in. Mm -hmm. Okay. So let me, yeah, let me think of, um, yes. Cause you also worked for a, like a, a, is it called a madam or is it called a. I worked for a salon and yeah. A I salon. Thank you. Um, that's what we, yeah, that's what I called it at least. Um, so, okay. So this is one of my favorite sessions that I've ever had. Um, this guy's name was James, obviously a fake name. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, James comes in with the request that uh, he wants to be tied up and and carried around. Carried, okay. And carried and like and like thrown around and um, cut like you know like a ragdoll sack of potatoes kind of thing. Okay. And so so that's such a so I get booked for this because I'm the tallest and the strongest there. And so James comes in and he's like the six three, like two hundred fifty pound guy. <gasps> I'm there in like in my little corset and heels, and I'm like, let's do this, let's do this. But so physics is a thing, even in BDSM. <laughs> so when so when a customer would come in, a client, right. would come in, um, there is a form. There are forms you have to you have to sign, like so waivers and stuff like that. So like you yeah, don't sue us. You're coming. You're coming in here to get hurt. So. I mean, that's what you sign massage forms for. Yeah. If you're gonna yeah. put your hands on a mm -hmm. at a doctor's office, if you're gonna put your hands on or in <laughs> doctors and BDSM workers, <laughs> um, if you're gonna put your hands in somebody, you gotta sign a, a liability form. And we also we had a, qu a questionnaire that um, I think that like I still have like saved somewhere or like on oh dope. That, that like is, that is just like basic questions about like, what is your pain tolerance? Like what are mm. things that you absolutely don't, like what are your absolutely, absolutely do not do to me? Right, what are your hard, what are your hard no's? Hard no's and also just like, you know, briefly describe what kind of session you like, what are your safe words? Mm, so, safe words, is there yeah. always a safe word? Always. always, always. Always. Do you mean by always most of the time or do you mean? always always have a safe word even Thank if you. yeah even if it's just like a really dumb little thing that you don't think you're gonna need it just yeah have it you never know um, you'd rather have it and not need it than need it and not it. have it if you're working professionally and you don't and you don't really know these people like um like i've um very unfortunately accidentally triggered someone's post-traumatic stress disorder oh geez in a session. and yes it was a very difficult um you know, because I, I have PTSD myself, and mm -hmm. everything everything turned out fine. But like I said, this is this is why we need safe words, because not only are these physical things happening, but emotional things are happening too. Yes, very okay. important. And that's just yeah, that's just I think part of being a dom is taking that responsibility. And yeah. Um. So yeah. So I would uh, after you get the form, you kind of read it over. You, mm -hmm. would you said uh, pain tolerance. Do they use the same scale as doctors, one through ten? Kind of. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so it really is <laughs> like visiting the doc. <laughs> and but of course it's it's like it's very much it's all subjective. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, so then I would after you kind of get the form and they get settled, uh, we would in the salon we had three rooms. Mm -hmm. so they go set up in whichever room was available. And I would go in as myself, 
um, you know, not kind of in character as a dom and just meet them and talk with them and be like, so, you know, you sign up for an hour and a half. Um, what, like, how do you want this to go? What are you, and so, yeah, we talk a little bit, get to know about it. So with this guy, James, um, he uh, wanted the fantasy, like within the, in the context of this sack of potatoes um, sort of fetish. Did he want to not even be animate? Did he literally want to be as limp as a, as a rag doll or a sack of potatoes and just have that feeling of no bodily autonomy? I'm about, yeah, I'm about to like kind of describe a little bit oh. about kind of the psychological stuff that went, that went into this because like there's always a mental component that goes mm -hmm. along with like whatever physical activity is happening. Mm -hmm. So in this fantasy, he wanted me to be an ex-girlfriend who's mm -hmm. kidnapped him. And so how interesting is that that kind of, it's almost just this taboo role reversal of, um, of specifically an ex girlfriend. Yeah, specifically, yeah, specifically an ex. So I like, obviously little actor me, I come up with a full backstory of why we broke up. In this <laughs> like Emma Stone, like Deirdre, how do I let you go? <laughs> and I think that's why I was like really successful. I put that extra thought into it. <laughs> yeah. You were putting work into your livelihood yeah. people people appreciate that so anyway this is the story of how i invented crossfit so <laughs> and so i i'm we do that we decide on okay i'm going to mummify you in plastic wrap like huh? your face and just i'm going to drag you around the hallway out in the out in public all of the other uh doms who are waiting for sessions they're going to see you mm -hmm. so we, we agreed on that that there was going to be a degree of it's uh, cool that they were all on break well, that was that was an interesting part about working there. You you kind of should just show up and be like, well, hope someone calls in tonight. Would you get assigned by a specific person, or would you all meet and be like, I want that job. That job doesn't sound like something I can do. Um, a little bit of everything. Or was it just assigned? Um, a lot of people came in to see you specifically. Ah, yes, returning customers. You'd have so you'd have regulars. Um, okay. you'd have people. Now, unfortunately. Uh, people would call and be like, I, I want a blonde girl. I want um, an Asian person, <laughs> like, you know, and so there was yes. a big part of that, of that going on there. And that's just unfortunately, like how a lot of sex industries still work um, and how a lot of casting. In I mean, it involves performance. Anything in that involves performance, they're like, well, we're looking for a specific type. Yep. It's so that was crazy that that's and then also we all every every dom had their specialties and their limits mm -hmm. so you know, obviously like there were things that i was just not interested in doing um gotcha. and so yeah so it was it was kind of all three of those things um to decide who gets which client so you led him around covered in plastic wrap so yes except for his breathing holes <laughs> yes and seeing um, holes oh yeah yeah i did not i only mummified below below the neck okay yeah um so yeah, and so it was just an hour and a half of kind of building this this ex-girlfriend fantasy and me trying to like lift him up and drag mm -hmm. him and I did get him like over my shoulders one time. And nice. <laughs> but the next day was the sorest I have ever been in my entire fucking life. And you're like, I can't, I, I can't be this sore again. So you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go to a farm somewhere, find the biggest tractor wheel I can find and just start flipping it over. I'm going to flip this tractor wheel. And that's how you invented CrossFit. So you could carry around 250 pound potato men during your, during your kick scenes. <laughs> but yeah, it was, it was, so, you know, so that's what the thing, it was, it was playful. It was fun. Like I was, it was not erotic to me, mm -hmm. but it was very, it was very erotic to him. Like I'm It's work. Carrying him over. 
very hard dick in my face as I'm trying to carry him around. You're like, I, I can't. Just, like <laughs> swatting it away, like I can't fucking see. <laughs> Keeps crazy. knocking your glasses off. Yeah, <laughs> but it was it was it was fun. That was a fun session. That was yeah. That's and cool. So that's, and that's pretty much how it works. They they call, they fill out the form. Someone gets assigned to them. They do the scene, and then what? Uh, Is there any communication after the scene ends? Um. That's the, the, one of the things that I think is, was really interesting about the professional um, is that aftercare is something mm -hmm. that is very, very important and very big, but aftercare in a professional um, realm was just was kind of difficult and really, and because it usually involves a very intense level of intimacy doing that aftercare. So we would always like, you know, give, give the client their space and, you know, make sure that they were okay and, um, kind of in the same way at the beginning where I would come in and like kind of do a little five minute check-in. I do a little five minute check out being like, you know, how did that go? Things like that. Uh, but as far as like, in terms of like, I don't know, like snuggling afterwards or, or anything like that. I, I, I did not do that. That would, yeah. That's, that's a tip. A little bit too much for me. Yeah. With someone I didn't, didn't know. <laughs> I, yeah. I mean, you're not going to snuggle with strangers unless so yeah, that's part of it. Yeah. <laughs> in non, in non-professional um, BDSM play, uh, aftercare is absolutely just so important. And I think to me, one of, it's one of the main things that separates um, BDSM from abuse is mm. recognizing what do I need after the scene to feel safe and to feel loved. Um, sub drop, and dom drop are, are terms um, for very real neurological phenomenon that can happen mm -hmm. after you go through like a very physically demanding scene. Because um, you have so many endorphins happening, not only just from the sexual aspect, but from um, being hit or being hurt. Like mm -hmm. you know, your brain is- A lot of oh, neurons are firing. Your brain is going, yeah, it's, it's going crazy. Your brain's on fire, that's the point. <laughs> it's, it's wonderful, but yeah, you have to know what you need afterwards in order right. to feel safe because um, you can rest afterwards. Sorry, you went, out, you went out for a second internet-wise. You said you need to know what you need to feel safe afterwards, and yeah, that's mm -hmm. and the yeah. foundational difference. For me, yeah, also, also the, the consensual part. Is oh, right, is of course. Weird. I mean, but the aftercare, yeah, and you got to make sure you have a partner who can do that for you. Gotcha. So, subs out there, if you're vetting a dom, mm -hmm. one of the most important things that you can ask is what do you is ask about aftercare? And if they say, oh, I don't, I don't cuddle afterwards, or like I don't, <gasps> I don't do this, run, run, <laughs> run. <laughs> you're gonna stab me with a kitchen knife and then not nuzzle me afterwards? No, sir. <laughs> no, sir. No, ma'am. Exactly. Another no. great thing to ask when you're vet when you're vetting. I just want to put this out there. Uh, a great kind of rhetorical question is, "What does accountability mean to you?" Wow. Ask that to your dons, and if they if they if that scares them off, good. And yeah, they better be ready for that question. Not for the task. Wow. Did you um, did you see this film? Did you see Hellraiser while you were working as a dom, or did you see it earlier in life? Um, I saw it earlier in life. I saw it, I think, like late in high school. And yeah, I instantly was like, "Ooh, what? Is, like the aesthetic definitely got me." Yeah. Right. Like, what is what is all this about? I think I recognize this. <laughs> <laughs> and so, um, what about this movie speaks to you as a horror fan? 
is it just the correlation to BDSM or is it also an emotional uh, recognition? The, I love this movie as a horror movie because of um, the relationship between Julia and Frank that we spoke of, like that really mm. speaks to me, just like how terrifying that is to like lose yourself in someone and to like be able to commit murder for someone. I, I She's love- ready to do so much yeah. for the dick, so <laughs> much. In Clive Barker movies, these women are willing to do so much. The dick must be so bomb. It must be so good. <laughs> I'm reading another passage for you from the book. Ooh, sure. I'm here, she said. This is Julia to Frank. Uh-huh. Without thinking, she reached across and touched him. The body was hot and damp. His pulse seemed to be everywhere, in every tender bud of nerve, in every burgeoning sinew. The contact excited her. It was as if, until this moment, she had never quite believed him to be real. Now it was incontestable. She had made this man, or remade him, using her wit and her cunning to give him substance. The thrill she felt touching this too vulnerable body was the thrill of ownership. Ah, there it is. That's just, that's just BDSM. That's... <laughs> Oh, we should give the listeners a, a, a pause if you're just joining us now that you've rubbed one out. Um, <laughs> so many people are going to be pausing this at that exact moment, being like, uh, I'll continue this later. <laughs> so thank you for that. I don't think I've had an episode that people had to pause to take care of their arousal before. <laughs> but reading Clive Barker will do that. Hmm? Oh my God, is that your dog? Oh my God. <laughs> This is Pippa. Pippa loves Josh. I love Pippa. She's the cutest little uh, Cavalier King Charles with these little amber eyebrows and a little white snout. Perpetually angry. Yeah, she looks real angry yawning and playing patty cake with her mommy right now. (laughs) (laughs) So you just asked me why I like this horror film. So we've we've got... Yes, and then we had to pause to rub, to just take care of our boners. Oh, anyways. You know, like you said, it just keeps knocking into your face. So I I like this movie because you got a lot of, um, like, the BDSM themes in the aesthetic. Mm -hmm. You've got this um, absolutely just fascinating relationship between Frank and Julia. You've got Julia, who I just, I just love Julia. She's a great That relationship is more fascinating than the Cenobites. I, you know, you think you might be right. But also... (laughs) One of the things that I, I just love about horror in general, and if a horror movie deals with this, I automatically love it, is the disintegration and destruction of the family unit, Ooh. which is a theme that appears over and over again in horror movies. Yeah. And in all of my favorite horror movies, like I think that's what Ari Aster deals with in both of his films, mm-hmm. um, Hereditary and Midsummer. Um, it's what I think The Shining is all about, and it's why The Shining is so fucking terrifying to me. Um, <laughs> that movie is so. That movie is just like it makes you so uncomfortable. It's mm-hmm. so good at just making you uncomfortable on all points of your body. And so that's and so that I see this this same thing happening here on on so many levels. You have mm-hmm. uh, this this marriage is has basically just been broken since day one because Julia's sleeping with the brother like right before her wedding oh boy got, um the daughter uh who's interesting and interestingly enough i found this very interesting it was the daughter kirsty in the film but kirsty yes. was just a friend in the book 
True. Like, just a friend of theirs who hmm. was looking out for Larry, Larry slash Rory. Um, hmm. But I liked the choice to have her be the daughter more. Yeah, I okay. think that so, yeah, that's so more conducive to horror movies. Yeah, so you have this thing, this disintegration happening between in the marriage, but then you also have Larry just um, like wanting his daughter to to move in or to not, you know, to not get a job. And so um, so you have like this kind of tension between the father and daughter as the daughter wants to be independent. And then there's the the, the uh, biological mother who uh, is passed or I, I'm not sure exactly what happened. So right. yes, Julia all, is her stepmother. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So throughout all of this, that's, I just, I find, I find that all very fascinating. Um, when horror deals with that, it like gets me. I mean, people know this movie for Pinhead, but the actual, I mean, they don't come in until, well, they're, they're in the beginning and then they don't come in. Yeah. And then they don't come in until later. The, the plot basically is, you know, Julia falls in love with Frank, her, her brother-in-law has way better sexy times with him than with her own husband, Larry. Um, and so when Frank decides I'm going to go find the, the most intense carnal pleasure in, in the universe, he ends up opening a door to an other, to an ex, they're called extra dimensional, not interdimensional. So they're just, they're just nomadic entities, I guess, going from dimension, dimension to dimension, um, through this puzzle box that matters a lot for some reason. And... Frank gets torn to shreds by the Cenobites themselves. Are you asking me? Yeah, sorry. I just like lost the thread of the plot. Like, wait, what happened in this movie? <laughs> so he, yeah, in the beginning, he, uh, he gets... Um, ripped apart. Ripped apart, disintegrated. Yeah, yeah. Uh, completely destroyed by the Cenobites. And then um, his brother's blood spills on the floor where it happened. Right, and reawakens him. And so Julia tries to bring him more uh, flesh to recreate his body. Mm -hmm. And she becomes, she is booking these clients left and right. She brings, she brings dude after dude home. And yeah, she's putting that, she's putting that post to work. All for Frank. Oh yeah. But it was so clear that she was in love was she in love with him or was it just more sensually fulfilling and that drove her to and this is what i this is what i i think this movie is uh is a queer movie because i think it goes it goes so much more than i'm in love with this person it's that this person speaks my love language and this person um does that, i guess does, yeah does that make sense like, it's about it, speaking well, the same language yeah. it, the same love language to me sounds like a very you know a very pansexual philosophy like it it matters it matters how you communicate sexually more than I guess how you communicate when the world is watching okay but let me be real if I directed this movie I would make Frank Frankie and I would, I would make Julia like being like a closeted like lesbian BDSM <laughs> relationship all right let's do it I mean they're apparently making a series because why wouldn't they um like hbo is in talks with clive barker to make a to make something i mean after game of thrones i guess hbo is like what haven't we shown yet <laughs> actual <laughs> actual bdsm like let's do it let's film it let's why not <laughs> they don't give shit well if clive barker's behind it i support it 
I hope it involves him heavily or I hope they don't just give him a bunch of money to use the name Hellraiser because that's, you know, been done to death. Um, one thing that's interesting while we're not too far from the subject of Julia uh, and her clients is that Clive Barker himself was a hustler while he was uh, trying to make money to fund his early writings, his early illustrations, because he's, he's a visual artist as well, and his early theater company. He founded a theater company in uh, the UK, and that's how he met Doug Bradley, the actor who ended up playing Pinhead. And during these times, he was so strapped for cash that he would turn to sex work. And I think that's one of the reasons Julia luring men into her web became such a big part of this movie is his experience with the sex industry. I, I believe that. I, I read somewhere that even um, the designs for the Cenobites come from some of his experiences in the leather S&M world. A lot of leather in this movie. Why yeah. do you think leather is such a, such a big part of the kink community instead oh. of burlap? Would What's you wrong like, with burlap? Would you, like a quick, would you like a quick history lesson? Sure. Um, so, the, the leather scene and um, the kind of like the leather daddy whole thing in the US started um, with this, the ma this mass of young men, young gay men, mm -hmm. um, who came home from World War II and who, who had grown up and who had gone through uh, their adolescence in this very strict uh, like military kind of hierarchical command. And so this, this comes back into um, the States after the war. Uh, it's been a while since I <laughs> bear studied up on your leather history. <laughs> yeah, since I studied my leather history. So that, so all of that kind of um, uh, like just became a part of this, of the gay subculture. And so that kind of turned into this leather, leather daddy community. Um, yeah, that makes sense. If you ask what, like, why leather? It's, it's. I think it's. There's the there's the tradition of that community, which have, like has rules and hierarchies. Um, I'm not a gay man. I'm not really involved, so I, I don't really. I wouldn't really know what those are, unfortunately. Um, but I am, and leather, I don't know. Leather is sexy and it's tactile, and it and it has a yeah. smell, and it's yeah, it's it's a thing. But I actually I believe that the um, the Cenobites are wearing latex or PVC mm -hmm. and not leather. Is that? Which is another, which, which is another huge fetish. Uh, say that again, plastic. Uh, uh, PVC and latex. PVC and latex, thank you. Uh, so is that rubber, latex. both of those, or plastic yeah. and rubber? Yeah, all of that stuff. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's also a, a shiny skin tight, uh, like yeah, tactile, Oh, like the black yeah. rubber man from American Horror Story one. Yeah. Oh, that's yeah. that's not leather. That's latex. rubber. Latex. Latex. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. Is it because these tactile or these tactile things have a similarity, but also an uncanny difference from human skin itself? Kind of. It's like the idea that you can peel it away. Yeah. Sounds. And and like the like um. I'm just, I'm trying to describe what it feels like to have, to be wearing latex and have someone touch you and just have like, it's like, it's, it, it feels different. It's like, feels like you have like this extra layer of skin. And so like if someone- That you could just rip off. It's, it's, yeah, it's very, it's a fascinating thing. Um, hmm. 
I, I went into a latex vacuum bed once, which is, which is. Yeah, I've heard of those. It's like a big pool table. And it's you get like into it. Very, very thin pieces of latex and you crawl in between them. And then mm -hmm. there's a vacuum <laughs> attachment, which basically just sucks it into you. So you're immobile in between these two little <laughs> like. And then do they just leave, do they let you out eventually or do they have to cut you out of it? Um, they turn the, they turn the vacuum off in it. Ah, uh, and it just. Yeah, oh. just you can crawl out. Yeah. Yeah, my specific kink is that moment when you're getting your blood pressure taken, when the blood pressure <laughs> band is like at its tightest point, and you're like, I don't like this. And then it just <laughs> releases and you're like, ah. <laughs> is, do you think the release from these restrictions is part of why people like to get tied up? Or do you think they feel that they have too much control in their daily lives and want to give some of it up because that makes them uh, that appeals to them. Well, I do think there are so many fetishes. There's so many things out there, and there's no one way. There's no one way to experience them, or there's mm -hmm. no one reason why people enjoy them. Um, I know uh, bondage is my favorite. I absolutely love being tied up, and for mm -hmm. me, it's because it feels like you're being held. Oh, yeah. You know, not in like oh, I need to be held. I'm lonely, but it's just it's like yeah. It's there's this secure feeling. Yeah, comes along with it, and so and so having that secure feeling along with this the psychological aspect of helplessness mm -hmm. in a situation with someone you trust, it's intoxicating. It's great. Yeah, that kind of contradictory living in the between is is part of the big appeal for for everyone who has a kink, and this movie is is about exploring that gray area between pain and pleasure, of course, and. I think that's one of the reasons that people were so uncomfortable with it. I mean, Roger Ebert himself accused this movie of having a, a bankruptcy of imagination. I think it's one of the most imaginative things I've ever seen. I don't under I don't understand how you could see that movie and say that. I do. How can you? You're like ah yes, this the the bankruptcy of imagination. He couldn't possibly have come up with it. How can you say that if if he's coming up with these monsters with like teeth where their dicks are supposed to be and pins where their heads are supposed to be and fucking uh, uh, the guy who only chatters his teeth and like the the girl centibite with the the throat her larynx not only does clive barker have so much more imagination in his pinky thing he also does the drawings 150 of his personal artworks were featured in um uh, one of the sets of sabrina the chilling the chilling adventures of sabrina okay. the most recent show like he is also drawing his, that takes an immense imagination. All right, guys, I'm going to plug Abarat again, which is Clive yes. Bar Barker's um, young adult series. These are absolutely beautiful illustrated novels that are all of his artwork, like beautiful colored. And like, the MPAA cannot censor those. They got no jurisdiction over, over <laughs> pieces of paper. It was funny because um, the working title of this film was Sadomasochists from Beyond the Grave. <laughs> a bit of a misnomer, but working titles are never exactly, they're not supposed to like give anything away. So I feel like anyone who saw that, that title would be like, ah, yes, another horror movie. Mm -hmm. Little did they know how, how sexual this horror was going to get, how psychosexual. And it's interesting that when they ran into tr trouble with the censors, um, 
they had to take out more sexual things than they had to take out gore. Uh, an actor who was getting murdered said it would make more sense to me if I was naked while she murdered me. Because she got me back here for sex. Why would I have my clothes on? And so they filmed a nude murder scene, but then they had to cut it because it was too much. Come on, HBO, give us the nude murder. That we right, right, that's the one thing I'm like, okay, maybe in the remake they can show this shit. <laughs> they, they said ridiculous things like, ah, you can, have his, you can have Frank's ass thrust into her. You can see his ass thrusting twice, but not three times. <laughs> the rule of threes, okay. I'm like, okay, so you don't want it to be funny? <laughs> <laughs> like, what the fuck? <laughs> It's like two thrusts and maybe he pulled out and went and got a sandwich. Three thrusts, we know he's finishing in that ass. <laughs> okay, people, chill. I mean, of course, they also had to cut plenty of gore in order to not get an X rating, but this was also in 1987 at the peak of Britain's video nasty, like, craze where they were trying to censor as many gory movies as possible, including a lot that you and I have watched together. <laughs> I should mention that, that Jay is my scary movie buddy. Like, if there's a movie, I'm like, I don't think anyone would watch this with me. Jay would. I will watch anything. <laughs> and that goes, but yeah, if anyone's listening to this and, ha- and like, needs a, needs a movie, crazy movie recommendation, like, hit me up. Hit Josh oh, up. absolutely. <laughs> Does it surprise you that the sex was, was more uh, stifled than the, than the violence? No, not at all. So that's the way this country works. It's the way the industry works um Mm -hmm. that's the way it's going to be probably for a while unfortunately how would you how would you make this movie pro more pro sex work or more pro dom work i would have i would have liked to have seen the nature of um frank and julia's relationship Mm -hmm. like about how it was probably maybe a little bit more kinky um because it was I think when I, when I first saw it and when I first read the book, I'm like, why does she just hate Larry so much? Like, she fucking hates him. Let him look at me. Like, and so that once I kind of like, kind of, I guess, interpreted it as um, she's, she's kinky and she's like in this vanilla relationship that's when her motivations kind of started to make a little bit more sense to me. So mm-hmm. I would have liked to have kind of maybe seen the contrast between what it was like being with Frank and what it's like being with Larry and how that makes I mean, feel. at some point, didn't Larry try to initiate sex or did she or, and they were, and he, she like brushed him <laughs> off at one point because it's like, yeah. I can't go back to your stinky old dick. Yeah, yeah, she's, but then like, um, I think Larry, Larry's like about to go up to the attic. <gasps> so she's like, oh, better put the pussy on. Yeah, I can get it. Yeah, and, and <laughs> in the book, she's just like literally like, oh, why am I having to do this? Like, this is disgusting. Rather get pounded than have a conversation. <laughs> speaking of speaking of booty calls, you want to talk about useless Dave and how this movie felt the need to put in some white boy for the daughter the ostensible heroine to have sex with. I was literally like, wait, who? Right, who the fuck is Dave? Is that even his name? John, Dave, Chad? Was he? He wasn't in the book. No. Do you think the studio is like, you need another white guy. It's not enough white guys. I mean. Only two thrusts and at least 10 white guys. I, I think it's, I think it's interesting that maybe he was put in to, um, 
give the boys something to look at. Interesting, as like an accessory to Kirsty's character, or to show, or to like give you a little bit more information that like, like Kirsty is because there's this one scene where like she kisses, she like kisses him and stuff, but she doesn't sleep with him. Mm. There's a scene where where like she goes over to his apartment and he's sleeping on the floor. So it's like to to show how pure she is. But not but not exactly. I think it's it's really interesting. I was I was reading this essay. Um, called Between Hell and Earth, Rhetorical Appropriation of Religious Space Within Hellraiser. Oh, it's all about Hellraiser. How Kirsty's use of reason over desire um, is what helps her triumph against the Cenobites. So she's still like this, this secular woman who wants to kiss this guy and who wants to, you know, go out in the world on her own, but she has this reason where she's able to kind of trick the Cenobites, right? She's just like, oh, I'll, I'll give you, I'll give you Frank if you let me go. Um, right. As Julia and Frank are operating completely on carnal desire. Right. They have no regard for other people. They're not being very considerate, and they're chopping people up. Yes. And so. I, I mean, the chopping people up wasn't part of their sex before Frank got <laughs> himself torn apart. I think this is all Frank's fault. Julia just got duped by the dick. I love her still. I love her still, and I think Claire Higgins is so... I would have treated Julia so much better than Frank. She <laughs> would have had way better sex. Anyways. <laughs> None of this would have happened if she could have just called her local dom. <laughs> Frank, was, Frank was selfish. He got himself torn apart so that he could experience the pleasure. He didn't give a fuck about her. And didn't he, like, end up letting her die anyway because he was a selfish prick? I'm pretty sure, yeah. Why did Clive Barker have to make him so hot and hairy and the first scene you see him and he's sweaty and his upper lip is twitching and you're just like, who's this man? And then you're like, oh, he's the evil one? <laughs> I'm toxic. <laughs> I like toxic man. <laughs> Ugh, girl. Every horror movie is like, why do we love these toxic men? The one thing that I found out was, was pretty interesting that I did not know is that the term Cenobite, mm-hmm. like the definition is like, is a term for in the early Christian tradition. Really? It is a member of a monastic community. Monastic? Like a monk, yeah. It's an old Christian term for a monk. <laughs> so they're sex monks. So they're BDSM sex monks. Can we take, what do you think their monastery looks like? <laughs> oh my God, that monastery is just, just all slings. There are no chairs. <laughs> There's no chairs. There are slings and dildos. Pick one to sit in. And they're not just any dildos. They're the kind that you have to literally like screw into the wall. Like this is a building. They, 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 built, they built this sex monastery to last. So they're those, those like machines that are just like fucking. <laughs> it looks like an old, it looks like an old water wheel, like a, like a water wheel. It's, it's the perfect blending of your cottage core beliefs and your cottage core aesthetic and the BDSM scene. It's like a water wheel, but it's controlling a giant dild <laughs> that is just going in and out of this, this one sex monk. All right, I think they have to get us to direct at least one episode of this HBO series. Sex months. We're coming up with some really good lore here. I know, right? World building. They'll let us show that. We'll only, we'll only let the dildo thrust twice. <laughs> Three times. Too much. Um, 
is there anything else about this film? Because you were talking about something called um, stigmatophilia, and I was wondering if there were other things you wanted to touch. Yeah, a lot of research into um, body modification and where that fits into uh, the BDSM scene. Um, and I, I want to talk about this because uh, one of the things that people find so fascinating about this movie and about the series in general is the Cenobites. Mm-hmm. And these are like modified individuals, <laughs> extremely modified individuals. So I wanted to take uh, just a second and talk about body modification. Is that what stigmatophilia is, or it's a um, type stigmatophilia, of? Like, yeah, the definition of um, stigmatophilia. Let's see, I wrote this down. It's um, the basic internet definition is some is like someone who's attracted to tattoos and piercings. Mm. Um, but I think it goes a, um, a little bit further than that. Well, that's interesting because it just, it stigmata is the holes in yeah, someone, the exactly. hands and ankles um, of uh, Jesus? Or, yeah, someone who's aroused by body modifications. And so the word stigma the like. is a, a Greek word meaning a mark made by a pointed instrument, uh, a dot. And ah. so now, yeah, so now, and so yeah, you also, you have the, the stigmata um, in Christianity, but now the word stigma in English means oh, yes. a mark of disgrace associated with a particular circumstance, quality, or person. We hear this, the word so, stigma a lot yeah. in, in, in <laughs> so, the discourse. It's funny that we're also talking about all of these things that we're talking about mm-hmm. are social stigmas. So it's just an interesting, very interesting. But a stigmatophile is someone who is attracted to or aroused by body modifications, whether they're on someone else or on themselves or the act of getting them. Mm-hmm. Um, so I do want to just do a quick, quick disclaimer and just say all of those things that I am about to talk about are like very, very serious, uh, like medically and all of that stuff. And so, um, so it might be a little, yeah. a little uh, gritty for some people. Yeah, if you're engaging in any of these play, these kinds of play in your personal life, like make sure you do it with someone you trust, make sure this person, like if you're into piercing play, make sure the person that you're playing with like has um, apprenticed at a piercing shop. If you are going to do cutting or scarification, make sure this person has a, um, a first aid background or is first aid certified. Like I cannot, like this, this is serious stuff. And this is- Stigmatophiles, stay away from Claire's. <laughs> Yes. You will not find, don't get a, don't go to the henna tattoo person at the, at the beach. <laughs> you need to find a real, a real stigmatifier. You need to find a real one. You're not going to find it at icing. Exactly. So yeah, body modification, it's ubiquitous. It's universal across all histories and cultures. And it's defined as an alteration of appearance that entails some degree of discomfort. Um, so the, the, motivic- the motivations behind why we do body modification, there are four main ones. You have magical or spiritual. And so this, uh, this would include circumcision, mm-hmm. uh, suspension rituals, um, a lot of like cultural scarification. You could even say that a lot of um, biohackers are um, engaging in um, body modification because of a, a magical or spiritual sort of calling. Um, I mean, it's interesting to mention cultural because body modification exists in so many indigenous cultures across the globe. I don't think it's a mistake that every single culture, every culture culture across time, body modifications, it's it's ubiquitous, it's universal. Oh, yeah. Jews. 
yeah, second second um, motivation, you have medical, you have orthodontistry, is mm. body modification, um, any number of like just corrective surgeries, uh, like gender reassignment is a body modification. Mm-hmm. You have cosmetic, um, plastic surgery, of corset training, piercings, foot binding, tattoos, scarification, any kind of basic piercings. And so okay. then you also have erotic um, body modification. So this could be piercing and needle play, medical play, ritual cutting, bodybuilding, um, nipple mm. and piercings, branding. What's Those are all for you. I've got magical, spiritual, medical, cosmetic, and erotic. Gotcha. And so, yeah. So this is all, everyone practices this. I've body modified. I've, I have my ears pierced. I've had braces. I've had a breast reduction. Um, yeah, so those are all serious body foot modifications. And so like, yeah, everyone here has had braces. Everyone here has like, you know, tried to do some sort of anti-aging, uh, building muscles. And this- everyone here has wanted to sleep with their orthodontist. So it's yeah. totally normal. <laughs> do people have dentistry kinks? Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Interesting. Mm-hmm. I, I find that interesting, especially because it's also one of people's biggest fears is going to the dentist <laughs> or, or, or they have those nightmares about their teeth falling out and maybe confronting that fear is part of what gives them the thrill. <laughs> that could, yeah, that could be it. That could be it. Do, you I, think, I, do you think fear is often like fear of the unknown or of the uncertainty of this kind of uh, sex life? Do you think that appeals to people? Yes, I'd say there is, there's, there's this an exhilarating part about, um, but of course, of course you don't want to be unknown as in like, oh, I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what's going to happen. Like, yeah, that's, that's probably not, not a good idea. Um, but yeah, there's something, yeah, something about that is absolutely true. Um, yeah. Cool. Yeah. I talked about that. Yeah. Just general body modifications. Um, piercings like why people are into piercings like we were just we were just talking about like how there are, are an endless amount of fetishes but why people like them there's no there's never one reason no set reason yeah so i did some research about why people are into piercings like as like erotically um for some it's just like a purely aesthetic or fashion decoration that makes them feel sexy mm-hmm. uh, a lot of it is sometimes to enhance pleasure um a lot of like a uh, female piercings can stimulate the clit just like from walking (laughs) Mm, yes um you also there's like this physical challenge aspect of it um like getting pierced like how much can i take and it's really it's been likened like i read some interviews it's like a high like an adrenaline sport Mm. um there's also uh, the ritual of the act can be very powerful like trusting someone to to pierce your skin like that um it's also a rite of passage. Like for me, this is not a sexual thing, obviously, but just getting my ears pierced at 13 was like your rite of passage, you know? Yeah. Um, and then there's, there's some hoop earrings by high school. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> and so then, and so then you also, then there's the, the healing time. Ah, uh, yes. And also just create new sens- sensitivity. And that's why you can't go to Claire's. You need someone who knows how to patch you up afterwards. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that you can get pierced again. So this is this is a quote from uh, from someone who's who's into piercings that I, I got from one of my my little books. Um, cool. This is a quote. She says, "In martial arts, we always say we have to be focused, but I hadn't understood what focus was until my piercing." Mm. So that ability to meditate and to focus on your body, the way that the body is experiencing this one very intense sensation. 
Yeah, I think a little bit of that is lost in this film in the um, scenes with hook suspension or yeah. or the piercings because you see a lot of close up of skin being pierced by the hooks mm -hmm. and then uh, people are suspended by the hooks. And I remember talking with you about hook suspension. Is that a subgenre of piercing? Actually, I, I looked into it a little bit. Um, so this the hook suspension uh, comes from I'm looking at it now, the Mondan, American, Native American tribe called the Mondan. Um, mm -hmm. First practice suspension by hooks is a tradition marking the transition from boyhood into manhood. Oh. And so I, I did a little bit of research into this man who is, who is very, is, was very, very big in the S&M world, kind of actually around this film called uh, Fakir Musafar. Fakir Musafar. He's the father of the moder modern primitive movement um what which is that yes this is a very interesting so this is from wikipedia that, but modern primitives are people in developed modern post-colonial nations mm -hmm. who engage in body modification rituals um, that are inspired by the ceremonies and rites of passage um, and body ornamentation of what they consider quote unquote primitive cultures so it is kind of this ultimate form of cultural reappropriation where people in modern societies take these um, these practices of body piercing, tattooing, flesh hook suspension, corset training, scarification. Um, they yeah they take these and they engage in them as uh, for personal growth, for rites of passage, for spiritual or sexual curiosity. And so, um, in contrast to uh, their usual purposes in the originating cultures, these practices are purposely taken out of their original context and reinterpreted into a modern setting. So this is, it's problematic. Yeah, it, is it sounds very dicey. It's dicey, yes. Um, and I, I'm not really sure what I think about it, but- um, But the, it is interesting. Well, the big, yeah, the big conversations about cultural appropriation are, are kind of new, or the fact, not they're not new, it's not mm -hmm. a new idea. And I mean, people barely want to talk about- For us white people to be talking about right. it. It's people barely want to talk about sex work in yeah. general, why would they talk about the uh, cultural appropriations <laughs> and the problematic uh, systems of systemic racism that exist in the sex work industry? Exactly. So, it's, yeah. so this, this is this modern primitive movement of basically any kind of, like all of the piercings that you would think of today as normal mm -hmm. were absolutely not normal, like hmm. even 25, 30 years ago. And they all kind of came, these practices of these different kinds of piercings came from this guy, um, Fakir Musafar. Um, so he is a shaman artist, a master piercer, body modifier, um, played a significant um, part in the re revivalizing of all of those practices. Mm -hmm. And um, he, uh, yeah, he developed all of the modern body piercing techniques in general use. Cool. And uh, I would, yeah, definitely look into him. Um, if you look at some of he uh, some of the pictures of of like what he does or watches his documentary, it like looks like it's right out of Hellraiser or a horror film. Like the way like he I have this interview with him right here where he's just like, oh, so what if I put a hundred steel bars in my body? And I'm like, oh, you mean like Pinhead? <laughs> <laughs> and so, certainly he could yeah. barely see in that makeup. <laughs> I believe that. So he's like, I'm tripping over my skit. So, so when I saw those Cenobites uh -huh. and, and kind of their body modification, I thought of Fakir Musafar 
Like literally okay. that's where my brain instantly went because he's, he's doing these things. Um, Musafar is doing these body, body modification things in order to uh, come close, come closer with the spirit. Well, I mean, the Cenobites would probably argue they were doing the same thing. Exactly. And so that's why it all kind of ties into this. And so even though the, the modern primitive movement is a little dicey, um, I think it relates a lot to what we're talking about here and a lot to what I find interesting about BDSM, which is um, the process of using these intense sensations as uh, like kind of channeling them into being closer with your spirit. That is, yeah, that is pretty fascinating. Mm -hmm. And I think it's also interesting that it puts what the Cenobites are about in a new light. That isn't entirely, um, that isn't, you know, they're not malicious. They have a specific goal and that goal involves pain and pleasure. And I think that Clive Barker didn't want his Cenobites to be the villains. I think he wanted the humans to be the villains. And maybe his upset with how the Cenobites were received led him to his later work like Nightbreed in which the strange creatures are actually the heroes and they're being unfairly persecuted. I think, yeah, Nightbreed is also absolutely we wonderful. We, we, listeners, we watched that together. Oh yes, we, we have, I have an episode of Nightbreed coming up as well. I believe I had a bit of audio issue with it, but hopefully it all turns out okay. Cause Nightbreed is also fantastic. And it's worth noting that Clive Barker had two of his stories adapted before he made Hellraiser and was like, this is wrong. I don't like how they, how they treated my work. So he went and he did the damn thing himself. Mm-hmm. Well, Jay, we yeah. come to the end. I've learned so fucking much. Thank you so much for patiently and going into so much detail on, on such a fascinating scene. Troop. <laughs> <laughs> thank you very much. I thank um, you for having me on. I'm glad I could talk. Um, uh, there's no one I, I love oh. talking with spoopy movies can more I than you, you. Can I give you a plug? <gasps> sure. Okay. Um, yes. Follow me on Instagram and Twitter at TheRealKingWack. That's W-A-C-K. Um, I do a lot of funny comedy shows, and also, if anyone has any questions about BDSM, um, my DMs are open. Be happy to help anyone with anything. Your BDSM DMs? My BDSM DMs, yes. <laughs> cool. All right, thank you so much for having me. In the meantime, me I'm going to take some BDSM DMA and go absolutely fucking crazy. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so I'm, I'm going to have some BDSM M&Ms. <laughs> It's uh, M&M's, but instead of chocolate inside, they're tiny little spikes that tell you you'll never be enough. <laughs> oh, my, my darling, thank you so, so, so much. Um, I love talking, talking movies with you, especially one that's in your wheelhouse as much as this one. Is there anything else you want to promote? Uh, no, that's it. Yeah, follow this, follow this funny bitch on Instagram and oh, Facebook. Oh, oh, one more thing. Wear your damn mask. Wear your god damn mask you people we may <laughs> Christ, come on maybe into body modification but jay is also about the public health mm-hmm. you yeah. gotta fucking take care of each other we gotta fucking communicate with each other oh yeah so i'm gonna yeah i'm plugging myself the real king whack instagram twitter wear a mask mm-hmm. also number three safe sane and consensual safe sane and consensual thank you very much jay And until next time, my gay gremlins, we love you. Bye.
<laughs> okay, bye. <laughs> Jesus.